Hi, this is Ellie Fishman, and welcome to part two of Misdiagnosis. And in the first part, we went through a number of basic principles and ideas. And now let's look at some specific applications. So bladder cancer is very common. And when I speak about misdiagnosis, I'm not saying you have a patient with hematuria and you miss a bladder cancer. That we're pretty good at. We're typically not going to miss it. In fact, I think people more overcall bladder wall thickening and can't rule out tumor. I'm talking about how often is it an incidental finding and how often do you miss it. And let me show you a case that made me think about it. This was a legal case I was reviewing for the state of Maryland. Patient presented with this scan and the radiologist read this as ischemic bowel. The patient had surgery it was ischemic bowel. The radiologist at that study three o'clock in the morning did not notice that the patient has a mass in the bladder. And sure enough, three years later, the patient comes back with bone mats and a larger bladder mass, missed diagnosis of bladder cancer. Now we noticed we missed a couple too, and here's the scenario. Patient is, we do a really good protocol at Hopkins. We give a thousand cc's of water for most of our studies, including our vascular studies, which means the aorta uh, is gonna be very bright and the bladder is gonna be distended, which means that anything in the bladder that's present will enhance to some degree, which means you could pick up really small bladder cancers even though you're not looking for them. And so the issue is if you did bad protocols, if the bladder wasn't distended, you wouldn't miss things. If you didn't scan fast, you wouldn't have missed things. But when you do the right protocol, there's a problem. And so what we've learned is minimal enhancement in the bladder wall is always gonna be a tumor. Example, this was an aortic aneurysm. Look at the bladder, look at about seven o'clock, there's a subtle enhancing lesion, eight millimeter bladder cancer. There it is there on the coronal view as well. Easy to see. Of course, if you had delayed phase imaging, you could see a filling defect right there. But typically with doing arterial phase and maybe a venous phase, rarely delayed phase when you're doing vascular mapping, and so you better recognize it early. Or in this case, perhaps you say, well, maybe that's partial averaging by the bladder there, but get a sagittal view and there it is, bladder cancer over a centimeter. Or this example, enhancement, subtle lesion, flat lesion, but it's enhancing, there's a lesion definitely there, bladder cancer. And if you really didn't believe it, there it is on coronal view, nicely shown. And here it is with contrast in the bladder. So again, you can see these aren't big masses. They're a centimeter, a centimeter or less in size. But the key thing is the enhancement. This is a larger one at about 3 o'clock. But again, a well-distended bladder. We don't think about bladder cancer as enhancing. And it's maybe enhancing to 80 or 90 Hounsfield units. But 80 and 90 against water, which is zero, shows very, very well. And here it is on the axial and the coronals and... Here it is on the 3D, and 3D really shows it well. And sometimes we actually see it better on the urine-filled, water-filled bladder than we do on the positive contrast, though I have to admit, in this case, you can see it in both ways. We wrote some articles about that, Shiva Raman at his prime, talking about anything that enhances in the bladder, you have to assume it's bladder cancer till proven otherwise. And although we think about TCC as hypovascular lesions, they still are enhancing. And against the urine, they enhance and stand out very nicely. 
Obviously, sometimes they're multiple, and these are typically not the problem cases. It's those very subtle cases. This patient was looking for hematuria. I'm talking about looking for aortic aneurysms where you're not worrying about the bladder. Well, we learned you have to worry about the bladder. Every one of us looks carefully at the bladder, even if for five seconds, and we haven't missed the bladder cancer ever since. And this is a nice example of multifocal transitional cell carcinoma of the bladder, areas of calcification. Now, when we talk about sources of error, one of the challenges, of course, is when we don't look carefully at a pr area because it really wasn't the purpose of the exam, perhaps. And so when I say, let's look for PEs, we do a good job detecting PEs, but if I say there's a pancreatic cancer, let's stage pancreatic cancer or follow a pancreatic cancer, you give a cursory look at the lower lung fields to look for METs, perhaps. But when you look at the thin sections, you will see pulmonary emboli. And oncology patients, up to 5%, have incidental pulmonary emboli. So you need to look carefully at these regions. And what we found is people were missing them on the thick sections, and I was doing the 3D, so I was using thin sections and saw them. So even if you're looking at the lower lung fields, you've got to look at the thin sections. And so here's a typical example. There's an incidental PE, right lower lung, nicely shown on the perfect images. And sometimes you don't look that carefully. There it is also again on the coronal view, very obvious. Another example, there's a PE, right lower lung. Incidental finding and very subtle, but when I put a circle around it, it's obvious. And the coronal view makes it obvious as well. And Charlie White wrote an article a couple years later making the point that PEs are commonly missed on abdominal CT scans. You may not be thinking about it. It's not the primary target of the exam. So you need to look carefully, and especially in oncology patients, I know it doesn't say PE, but these patients are tired. They, they have all sorts of comorbidities. You better look carefully at the patient's lung fields. There's no way around it. Now you can argue perhaps a lot of these PEs are small PEs and maybe they don't matter. And we always have the discussion about these small PEs, but you know, at the end of the day, we're anticoagulating everybody. Okay, what else? Gastric tumor detection. We make the point, you gotta distend the stomach. Whether you use positive or neutral contrast material, you have to distend the stomach. Now the ER docs are saying you don't give any oral contrast material. I am telling you, you need to give oral even if it's water. What I would tell the ER doc is I'm giving water because I need to hydrate the patient. When I'm giving IV contrast, dehydration is no good. When you give water or positive contrast and distend the stomach, you pick up these five millimeter polyps. Okay, that's great. But also, you pick up this antral carcinoma. If your stomach wasn't distended, you would miss it. Because if I showed you this case, what are you going to tell me? The stomach's undistended, the stomach has lymphoma, the stomach's infiltrated. I just don't know. You didn't give any water. You didn't give any positive contrast. The stomach is not distended. What is it that you're going to say about the scan? I have no freaking idea what you can possibly say. Advise clinical correlation, advise follow-up CT. In the ER setting is a good example. The patient has abdominal pain. Maybe it's a gastric ulcer. Maybe it's a tumor. This patient, where you can't tell anything, had a prior scan, and look at all of these polyps. There's 100 adenomatous polyps in the stomach. You missed all of them. Because if the stomach is not distended, you can't see the presence of pathology. Very, very critical.
Now, another thing to be aware of in terms of the stomach and paragastric region is the importance of timing. In this case, the patient was referred in for pancreatic cancer, felt to be unresectable. They wanted a second opinion. You notice the left lobe of the liver is somewhat nodular. This patient has cirrhosis. And I have to admit, when you look at this, it looks like a pancreatic carcinoma of the tail of the pancreas. But when you get the venous phase, these are all varices. Cirrhotic patients bother me. Before I call nodes, I want to make sure they're not varices. Looking at arterial phase can be tricky. You can overcall disease or undercall disease. And so this patient has huge varices. There was no pancreatic cancer. There was nothing there but huge varices. Now let's follow it up with pancreas in general. Now one of the things these days is we are really good at detecting pancreatic cancer. We still miss some, and that's why we're developing AI to help us. But you can make other mistakes. And sometimes we're getting so good. Remember in the old days with neuroendocrine tumors, we were 30% accurate. Now we're 95% accurate. And you pick up this 5-millimeter lesion in the head. What do you do? Lots of controversy under 1CM. People now probably aren't operating. Under 2, they're thinking about it, depending on tissue sampling and the like. Perhaps radiomics can help. But this case makes the point that fast scanning is critical for detecting small vascular lesions. And so if I show you this case, and I ask you, do you see a mass, the answer is no. And if I circle the mass, you still don't see the mass. And it looks like a decent study. But if I showed you the arterial phase and not the venous phase, look at that obvious 3 centimeter mass in the head of the pancreas, which was a neuroendocrine tumor, seen nicely near the GDA on these MIP images. And again, side by side, timing and phases everything. You missed a very obvious lesion because it didn't distort the contour, it didn't obstruct the duct, but it's there. And so protocols, we've spoke about that before, protocols are so critical. In this case, do you see anything? Well, there's a lesion by the tail of the pancreas, which you just can see there. If you look hard, there's a second lesion in the head of the pancreas. Again, small lesion tail, second lesion head, but very easy to walk by those lesions. Now, it stands out well here because it's fatty infiltration, but again, the importance of not missing those lesions. Or this case, look at that subtle 5-millimeter lesion, uh, which could be a neuroendocrine tumor, and in fact, it was an insulinoma. Look how small that lesion is. Look how easy it is to miss. Now, the problem with this case is the patient had distal pancreatectomy, did fine for a little bit, but then came back with the same symptoms, and now you look more carefully, and there's a lesion in the head of the pancreas. So insulinomas are often multiple, and you got to look really carefully because the lesions are often multiple, and they're under a centimeter in size. It's not just in neuroendocrine tumors, renal cell carcinoma, left nephrectomy, everything looks good. Spleen rotates posteriorly, bowel falls backwards, tail of pancreas drops backwards. But if you would have been arterial phase, look at that metastasis you would have seen. It's obviously there. A metastasis of the pancreas in renal cell carcinoma usually occurs 10 to 15 years after resection, in this case, left nephrectomy, usually in clear cell carcinoma. If you're going in there and you're doing non-contrast scans, you're going to miss things. Even with venous phase, if it's late, you're going to miss things. So this case looks like routine follow-up, yada, 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 nothing going on. Give contrast. Look how many pancreatic metastases you missed. Now, with multiple lesions, you can do a total pancreatectomy. 
solitary lesions is just the easier partial pancreatectomy. But again, look at the extent of those patients' lesions, and look at the venous phase. You barely could see the lesions. This again goes to my point of you need the optimal phase. You may need multiple phases, but arterial is so critical. Now, sometimes you could be confused. This was referred in for a, a Taylor pancreas neuronicrine tumor for a section, and I guess when I look at it, I'm thinking, okay, that's the obvious answer. But then I was doing a 3D for planning, and it ends up this is a splenic artery aneurysm with rim-like calcification. This was not a neuroendocrine tumor. It was simply a splenic artery aneurysm. Now, we know there are challenges, things like pancreatitis versus pancreatic neoplasms. Autoimmune pancreatitis is the classic, but sometimes groove pancreatitis can confuse you. Sometimes patients with chronic and acute pancreatitis can be confused. Clinical symptoms can be very similar. So let's talk about autoimmune pancreatitis. That's the one that's one of the great mimickers. Key findings, absence of classic history of prior pancreatitis, elevated serum immunoglobulin G4, IG4, dramatic response to steroid therapy, and difficulty distinguished from pancreatic cancer. You can see why the age range is not that different, 50 to 70 in most cases. And look at the symptoms. Join this abdominal pain, weight loss, new onset diabetes. That sounds like pancreatic cancer. Now, when you have extra pancreatic processes like ulcerative colitis, retroperitoneal fibrosis, involvement of the kidney or liver, it makes it much easier, but that's not always the case. And to make matters worse, with autoimmune, you may have a CA199 that may be elevated. Well, we have gotten more experience with this disease. We talk about enlargement of the gland without dilated duct. We talk about a features gland. We talk about a halo sign. We can recognize it here because there's no dilated duct and there's a halo around the gland. And we said autoimmune pancreatitis. Well, if you think it, you better say it because you can do an IG4, and in most cases that's elevated, and then you simply treat with 14 days of 40 milligrams of prednisone rather than pancreatic surgery, and the patient will do fine. This cigar shape, this haziness, this halo is very classic. And if you give this patient prednisone, it goes from here to there. Look how quickly the patient's pancreas resolved, and here is two images side by side gives you a great visualization. Now I mentioned if you have other organs, here you have patchy, low density in the kidney. This doesn't look like pilot, which is too extensive, it's not really infarcts, uh, wedge-shaped, and you have the pancreas. Look at it in coronal view. This is autoimmune pancreatitis with multi-organ involvement. Very good diagnosis. Now when we look at the kidneys, I do like to make the point changing subjects. You gotta look at the phase of acquisition, the imaging format you use, the rendering technique. Those are my three big errors. You also have to know what each phase is worth. You do non-contrast CT, well, perhaps that's great for renal calculi, but it's also really good for pre-contrast, for looking at whether or not a lesion is a high-density cyst or not. 25% of renal masses under four centimeters are benign. Well, this may be a reason why. You look at this case and you see a renal mass, and then you begin to say, what is that renal mass? You think it's a tumor, but then you notice it doesn't change between arterial and excretory phase, and you realize you're dealing with a high-density renal cyst, or maybe you think you are. Again, if forget non-contrast for a second. If a lesion looks the same arterial, venous, and delayed, you better be thinking of high-density renal cyst. 
Even hypovascular tumors change by 20 or 30 Hounsfield units across phases. And things like clear cell, usually 50. And so here, when you go back and you bring the patient back for non-contrast, you see the high-density lesion, there really is no problem. This makes the point to me there's no perfect phase. Every phase has issues. Every phase has advantages and disadvantages. I often remind people when you do a non-contrast study for stone disease, and you have hematuria, it means you don't have stones. If you have hematuria and it's macroscopic, you better do contrast because there's a reason the patient has positive cytology or positive blood in the urine. A stone study is a stone study. I'm always concerned that when you tell the ER doc or you tell the aide the patient has a normal CT for stones, a normal CT, they just say normal CT, next case patient's discharged. Remember, non-contrast CTs will miss small tumors when the outline's not distorted. It will miss infection and will miss vascular pathology. So in this case, this was an ER doc who I showed him the scan, said, great, I'm going home. I have hematuria, but I'm fine. Well, I said, you better get contrast. And there was a renal mass, two centimeters, partial nephrectomy. The patient did fine. But it sure looked good on the non-contrast, but there's an obvious renal cell. Again, no perfect phase. I love arterial phase. It gives me perfusion changes. There's a lot of work we've done. You can read about that in our kidney talk. But look at this case. It looks pretty good. I'm always worried on the arterial phase. If you have a tumor that's somewhat vascular, does not distort the outline of the kidney, you have to be careful. Look at about 6 o'clock on this case. I'll circle it for you. What's going on over there? What is going on there? Well, you look at the coronal. There's something funny. But when you look at the delayed phase, there's an obvious mass. That's a renal cell carcinoma. Okay, you need to be careful. Another thing to be careful of, I mentioned that 25% of the time patients will go for surgery and it's a negative lesion. Sometimes it's angiomyolipoma. Now, if you have an angiomyolipoma of the kidney and it's all fat, you're not going to make a mistake. But what about this case? At first glance, it looks like a lucency, like a cystic component in the renal lesion. But when you put a cursor there, it's minus 71. That's an angiomyolipoma. We're trying to use cinematic rendering, perhaps, as a way of helping us recognize that. But it makes the point, if you're not careful, you're not going to pick up that small amount of fat. And yes, you can theoretically have small amount of fat in a renal cell carcinoma, but those are aggressive tumors that invade the fat. A case like this, this is an angiomyolipoma, and this is a leave-alone lesion. If you look at the densities, there are several dots on the uh, arterial phase, and this was minus 75 Hounsfield units, which make this a leave-alone lesion and a renal AML with minimal fat. And yes, you could have diagnosed it on the non-contrast CT. You could diagnose it arterially, and you could diagnose it on the late phase. But again, you got to think about it. If not, you'll just read this whole mass as an angiomyolipoma with a tiny cystic component. I've showed you a few cases now, but I want to emphasize the fact that display format is critical. And yes, you should recognize the lesion in the left kidney, but it was an incidental finding. And maybe there's just partial averaging, but in the coronal view, look how obvious that lesion is, renal cell carcinoma. Or this patient with what appears to be nothing in the upper pole of the right kidney, till you realize that's a mass and it's coming off the upper pole, beautifully seen in the coronal view. And I will emphasize the point we make many times before, that what you need to do is you need to go back and look at the coronals and sagittals on every case, not just the case where you have a question. 
because here you would have missed a 2.5 centimeter renal cell carcinoma, upper pole of the kidney. Sometimes the lesions are small. Here's a small cystic and solid lesion, which was a 5 millimeter renal cell carcinoma. Many people now in the ACR will say under a centimeter, patients are older, 1 cm, it's a leave alone lesion, simply follow the patient. And that works very nicely. Sometimes the patients are nervous, they'll do a partial nephrectomy or ablation, but this can be followed. The last thing in the kidney I'll mention is the ureter. The point that ureter lesions are easy to miss. Here I'm showing you a donut for the left ureter. I've widened the window, I was doing bone removal, but you see that lesion and then you look at it on a section through the ureter, and you see you would have missed a 12 millimeter uh, transitional cell carcinoma of the left ureter. You could see how easy it is to miss that. One of the things we do is always get MIP imaging on expiratory phase. You see the lesion in the patient's distal left ureter, very nicely seen as you rotate it. And again, very easy lesions to miss, but a very easy lesion to see in the right case scenario. And again, look how easy it is to miss lesions. And I think that becomes very, very important. Now, in terms of the ureter and in terms of lesions, it's very important to understand precisely what is going on, precisely recognize the pitfalls, and what you can do perhaps to not make those misses. So with that, let me just stop there and let's pick it up in a couple minutes and we'll do part three of three. And we'll, we'll pick it up with some more tips on the ureter since I really like the ureter because the more and more I look at the ureter, the more and more errors I see. Thanks and I'll be right back. If you liked what you heard here today, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit our website ctss.com for lectures, quizzes, pearls, and more. Also, be sure to check out our apps that are available for free on the Apple Store. All links are in the description box below.